everybody. It's LOI Central with Dan and Johnny. Yes, you're very welcome along. Uh, it is LOI Central. Today we are remote uh, because it's a show in which we're going to talk to a couple of people from different parts of Ireland. Uh, we're going to talk to Craig Sexton, who's head of the Bowes Academy, and also Mike Gagan, who's the Waterford head of youth development, um, just about what it's like to run academies uh, in this country and what funding would um, do in terms of helping all that. And obviously it's a very hot topic at the moment. Um, I, can, I dare say Dan has been quite busy over the last two weeks and beyond uh, working on um, what's going on in terms of um, the FEI looking into the funding of the Greyhound and horse racing industry. And the reaction um, has been quite compelling for me in considering I'm kind of, I have a, a bit of a foot in both camps, I suppose, but we've loads to talk about on the show today. Can't wait to talk to the lads as well. Um, I think the the Academy has been maybe one of the good things that has come out of the old uh, FEI, uh, so to speak, uh, the, the FEI underage academies uh, across the National League. As ever, we're in association uh, with Future Ticket Inc. We are in association with Collar and Cuff. Call up to uh, Decky to get a free shirt and tie with your suit. And Collar and Cuff are also sponsoring the mailbag. And Rascals, uh, Rory and Ninchacore, only this weekend have... Um, a Eurovision kind of themed nice. Um, Johnny Logan is going to um, play some sort of part. Type thing Robbie Benson would probably go along to Dan, I suppose. Yeah, well, I don't know. To be clear, uh, let's not advertise the fact that Johnny Logan may be appearing and Rascals. He's not going to appear. He's not. I think there's a cocktail called the Johnny Logan Berry maybe making an appearance uh, on Saturday. So for the, those of a, you know, those, those of a Eurovision inclined, you know, brings back you know, your your vision medley for taking on a, on a couple and a night night out or two at times over the years. Modern Eurovision just not the same for me. It's not. No, no. But uh, like everything, you know, it's just like a peak in the nineties, or maybe it's just because you were a kid then. It's one or the other. So anyway, yeah, it's good, to, good, to, good to have you back. I've got some good feedback to um the Gary Doyle's uh, parents last week as well, Johnny. So um, you know. Just keeps us both on our toes for future reference. So like we we can always be replaced at any stage. So it's the competition for places, I suppose. That's the that's the, that's the theme of the show, now, isn't it? And Gary Doyle got to Terryland on Friday, which uh, I didn't. Um, so uh, that was quite interesting. And the league is over, Dan. Surely ten points clear going, Ives. Ah, God, yeah. It's good to have you back. Yeah. Mm. Back. It's good to have you back. But um, yeah. I mean, well, presumably it is. Um, at this stage, and uh, John Walters has left. He has. He's uh, he's departed. Who knows where he may end up next? Um, and uh, yeah, um, it's it's. Uh, I thought you were talking about the Premier Division there for a second. Well, you did reference a message I sent you prior to the show last week, which of course was off the record. But you you managed to bring that into uh, the narrative anyway, where I was like. Mm-hmm. Is there a title race question mark or something like that? And to be fair, Derry got a vital win in Drada at the weekend said to keep tabs and Shamrock Rovers who've obviously closed the gap on Bowes. I thought that was a... So it was a bit of a statement victory, Dan, but at the same time, I think Bowes kind of emerged with a lot of credit the way they played and were very, very unlucky with some decisions. Yeah, they, they definitely gave it more of a go, I felt, in the game of Daily Mount. Um, that actually, the first 10 minutes, they were terrible. You think, oh God, like this is going to be a... A non-event, um, but they probably got better as the game went on. Um, even though they conceded, um, you know, early in the second half, they didn't. You know, it wasn't so well that early in the second half, but they didn't. They didn't. You know, they didn't sort of 
fall back into their shell at that point. So like they kept coming again and probably showed that, you know, if you if you go at Rovers, you can cause them problems. I suppose like Rovers did it the previous week. I still don't think you know, defence and being resolute is like their strong point, Rovers. I suppose we see that in Europe, like they occasionally give teams a chance if they can but you know, they need to sort of put some decent passages together to open them up. But when Bowes did it, they, they were capable of doing it. Um and uh yeah, I mean the Aslavi decision is the talking point. I got it I think it was in the mailbag. Uh <clears throat> someone was you know, pointing out, you know, do do I do I accept the Stonewall penalty yet? Um, I tell you, you know, the league is really kicking off, Johnny, because um, I find now in my in my privileged uh, position in my ivory tower press box that uh, you have to be careful what you say, uh, or if it doesn't meet the if it doesn't meet the, the the specific criteria of what people are feeling at that time, you get a backlash. Like Twitter on Friday night is now angry, and like I, you know, when I was younger, I would have fancied maybe. Um, I would have fancied probably going to England at some stage and then, yeah, just life didn't, you know, I would like, I would like, like reporting over there, and, you know, there's a sort of a glamour to it and we've had no commitments and a certain stage in life, maybe I might have gone and tried it, but I'm very happy at home, but sometimes I do look at the lads working over over there and yeah, you'd be, yeah, you know, it's a glamorous beat and great stadiums every week and so on. It's sort of looking and going, Jesus, yeah, but the amount of stick they get just for like innocuous comments from like fans, yeah pylons over like you know you're biased against my team you know it's starting to come in here a little bit and I mean maybe that's a good thing like maybe the league is getting a little bit better but if you if you, if you say something harmless like then it looks like a solid penalty shout and there's a pylon but you haven't but you haven't declared this like the greatest outrage of all time Um, it's kind of funny like it, it is like you know the the language of everything is like uh, solid you know or, or I think I said afterwards uh, this would be the now, that'd be a big Bowes talking point, the penalty. So, what do you mean Bowes talking point? The League of Ireland, this is the biggest talking point in the league. It's like, well, no, I don't think Shamrock Rovers fans are walking out of the stadium, you know, stewing over the penalty too much. But like, this is it. The, the discourse around the league now is like, it's as fragile and as fickle and as sensitive and as sort of on edge as anywhere. And maybe maybe that's what we want. Like, you, you're out to get everyone. Um well, I don't know. Like, I, I actually, uh, I, I've actually made the mistake a couple of times in the last couple of years of like, this is probably why. I, I'd see a referee in decision and go, she's not sure about that. There's definitely Wolves in the last year, might even at the World Cup. I said, that looks like a scandalous decision. And then within a minute later, I realised that it wasn't a scandalous decision at all. But you can't undo, you know, your initial your initial comment. And then loads of people come into it late in the day and they go, well, that was a bit of a hot take. So now I'd be very conservative about refereeing decisions when I see them. Which probably actually backs up how difficult it is for referees. So you you don't want to be adamant in the first instance. Where obviously they have to be adamant in the first instance, and that's it. Um, but at first I thought that it looks like a good shout. Um, it looks like a solid shout. But then you watch the replays, and to me it's clear. I know people have tried to produce angles to to find you know the argument that um, you know to point to find the argument that maybe Cleary got a touch, but. Nah, like, uh, and even with the angle at the referee, must be that you think you would you would expect the ball to change direction if clearly got a touch, and I think he was trying to suggest that Afalabi didn't touch it at all. Um, it's just a bad call, really, isn't it? I don't know what you think, Johnny. I hate. I mean, I hate that we're here again talking about referee decisions, but it was the thing you, you talk about. It was the thing you take away from the game. 
Ah, yeah, well, it's kind of cool as well that you've all, like, you have, as much as there weren't that many angles of it, you have these slow-mos and, like, the, the coverage of the game on Friday, we're edging closer to the League of Ireland looking more like sort of a professional league nearly anywhere. And the slow-mos, you're looking, and I went off the ball Saturday then saying, like, I was praising Decky Devine because he really didn't go overboard on, you know, I think Trevor Clark's offside. Now, that's a very tough one to call for the first goal. I think he probably is offside. But the, the, yeah, there's a few different angles. People have been on to us about that mailbag. Like the, mm. there's, there's an angle from behind the goal and that goes sideways. It's it's tight. No one, I don't think, could be adamant on it. He's yeah. definitely on. He's definitely off. I mean, that's just a tough one. VAR would probably have a, a specific reading on it, you know? Yeah. So the VAR, I think, um, is going to give the penalty uh, 100% down the other end. Um, but like I'm on off the ball and Shane Keegan is telling me how he's seen this... Uh, this clip that Lee Stacey showed in the Cove goalkeeper, which showed that Cleary got the ball. I asked for footage of that. Uh, Lee Stacey actually sent it to me today, and I still can't really say anyway conclusively that 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 uh, Cleary touched the ball. And even if he did sort of touch the ball, I mean, does that actually, like, if you have the slightest touch on the ball, does that mean that it's not a penalty? I'm not sure it is. And in fairness to Bowes, like, Afalabi has a great chance. Beautiful. You know, you know I, I like uh, an outside of the football, Dan, but... Beautiful pass from Jordan Flores, and like some of the, some of the play in the second half for Bowes, I thought was really good. Just on the League of Ireland, like I was, I'm frantically trying to get out of going to Bruce Springsteen tonight because um, my missus wants to go, but I did, I had to get get a ticket on Toutless, regardless of who's going to go along with her. And there's Bowes and Rovers as the leading sports events thing on Toutless now because people want to get tickets for the Bowes Rovers game, despite it being nearly an eight thousand uh, seater sellout or whatever. So um, yeah, things are good, and uh, yeah, Galway Knights are ten points clear as well. What, why are you trying to get out of going to, to Bruce? I don't want to go. Why? Well, it's just like, I'm, I'm not mad, I'm not really into Bruce Springsteen. It's going to take about six or seven hours out of my day. Um, the gig is really long. Um, I, yeah, I just don't fancy it. You're just coming across it a bit entitled here now. A lot of people would love to be going to that gig tonight and they're going to be, you're actively trying to get out of it. Message me and I'll drop in the drop in the well, ticket it, across. Well, well, this this pod won't be out till after the show. Maybe we should, maybe you should just mm. put it out social channels and say it. But I would say I went to it before the Bruce thing. And it's actually a good gig. Yeah, everyone says that. All right, everyone. It actually, I, I, is. I wouldn't be a bit. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't classify as a fan, but I think you possibly should go. Let us know next week. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, there we go. Otherwise, um, obviously, Dan, we we will get to the mailbag, but um, there Winning Andrade was was pretty big. I thought you you don't want them to be losing ground. It looked like um looked like they were sort of lucky enough to win. I think you had that mad game in Inchicore where I thought um Adam Murphy's goal was an absolute abuse. Shows the sign of the pair that maybe he's developing. Turn cross, yeah. Sorry, turn his cross. cross. Yeah, turn his cross. Yeah, Pat's and Cork. But I suppose I mean we did react to the Clancy news last week. Um, thankfully you let us know before we we came on air. Um, then the Cork thing happened subsequently. With, uh, with, with Liam Buckley's arrival uh, and Colin Healy's departure we're told they're not related um, there was some weirdness in Cork generally um, I see your pals and Three Amigos podcast in the bad books for, for having the Healy story and, this and... was bizarre stuff Dad sorry this is absolutely bizarre we reserve the right to uh, you know let whoever we want into our games the media they literally reported something they're an independent podcast which they reported something which seems to be 100% true I just don't get it nah I just, uh, I'm much on that I mean maybe I'll always maybe I'm I'm biased maybe I'll always stand up for the right of like uh, the media and like, is there a grey area there because they're, like they're a fan podcast and therefore you're deemed to be well you you want to be one of us you know what I mean mm-hmm. 
you're part of like we're all in this together like one like one of those racing podcasts you know and or or, or or are you or are you meant to sort of uh independently hold something to account you know um yeah i just wouldn't be comfortable with the idea generally especially when it's right especially when it's accurate you know um i can understand maybe if someone put out some information that was hurtful that was wrong um or you might have to but when it's something that's true um yeah, it's just as I said, I, I made this point last week. It's just it, it's an unnecessary battle that's that's been fought. But anyway, the, the broader point is, being Colin Healy is gone. You know, Cork are in a bit of stuck, as you would say. You know, in the sense that they're um, they they've they're five points behind Drada, who should have more points than they have. But Cork really should be further behind. Um, and. Yeah, like I mean, I suppose Pat's at home. Okay, Pat, the 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 bounce and all of this, but still probably a good time to get Pat's. You would feel, you know, the, you know, they they you know they didn't exactly come down and steamroll Cork like a team that's miles ahead of them. You know, the Cork had chances, and yeah, it's a big appointment to get right, and also as well, like you know, naturally now Liam Buckley's in. He's going to have to have a big say in this. Like you want Liam Buckley to have is going to have more of a say in that decision than the owner, right? Because Liam Buckley's is your football expert on board. Yeah. Um, but I suppose Buckley's always been a manager previously and has a particular style. Does he have someone in mind that would slot into a overall structure and regime? Like, we'll see, you know? Um, Do you know what Cork, one of Cork's biggest problems, Dan, is they're just not very good as well. So, like, if you look at their players, you know, pound for pound, you're thinking um, they haven't actually strengthened massively from last year and they weren't that great last year. So they're reliant on... Essentially, they're aligned to Drada, obviously, um, performing to the way their, their budget would suggest they should perform, even though Drada have been very, very good in games and are probably improving with their young players. And hey, the other thing is UCD have become really competitive now. They're not losing heavily at all anymore. They may, Maybe they lose throw overs heavily Friday, but they're they're getting they're picking up points and you're like, well, I wouldn't actually be, I'd be worried if I were a Cork fan with that squad. Yeah, no, I think um, the valid concern, I think, um I still think there's there's the nucleus of a half decent squad there, and at times they've played well in certain games. But um, yeah, it's still it's still a concern overall. But um, yeah, I think let's go to the mailbag, Johnny. Will we? Let's go to the mailbag, Dan. Everyone's crazy about a sharp dress mailbag, am I right? These electronic letters have style for miles, so let's dig in. What do we have? Yeah, well, I've been a little bit pigged, I must say, with a virus for the last couple of days, which I don't really want to go into. I wouldn't recommend it either. Um, but um, it does impact my ability to type and to text, which is like a bit of a problem. So in fairness to you, um, you've led the way on the mailbag. So what what, what grabs you? Uh, you tell me what's on your mind there, what we've got. Well, I guess the refereeing is the starting point. Although, I don't know, do we, do we want to... No, no, I think we've done the decision. We've lost... Yeah. We've lost stuff in there about, you know, perfectly timed tackle, you know, various comments for referees. The don't thing about the referees, I mean, there was a comment about the Dublin bus, if the Dublin bus is friend that I, I want to get to the bottom of that, to be honest. You know, I do want to know um, what's happened. I mean, and Ryan Kilban does have a good question, actually. Um, the increase in, I don't know if Ryan related to Evan Kilban. I, I don't know if I told you when I was leaving Derry last week, um, a couple of Rovers fans were, were pointing out Evan Kilban to me because he's obviously been Mentioned several times in the pod, <laughs> but um, hello, Evan. I, I, is Ryan related? Can we clarify this? The increase in complaints from standard referees seem to coincide with LOH, coincide with LOH TV. Has it gotten worse? Are people just able to watch it back then, post clips on social media? 
I don't think the standard is particularly good, and I find talking about refs a bit tedious, but it seems a very online phenomenon. Um, and he makes the reference to watching something in slow motion from a different angle that the ref has that complains strongly about decision. Look, there is something in that, uh, Ryan, I think. There's no doubt like the league is now, you know, back in the olden days when you had sort of, uh, you know, games weren't even on TV and phantom goals disallowed, wasn't there one in Bray famously with bows, uh, the cameras weren't there. It's a fair point. You know, we, we do have more angles. We do we do can see more. We can you can rewind back on LOI TV in real time. Um, I know I was sort of annoyed a couple of people in the dock last year by you know, just rewinding, you know, by 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 responding to a clip again on Twitter about Rhino Kane and a show he hadn't been fouled clearly. And you know, you can you can you can put it up in a very short space of time. It, it is true. I, I think that's worth making that point, right? I've got to add Johnny or Anthony else in the mailbag who we want to move on to. Just, just on in relation to last week where you were talking to Gary Doyle about um, you know, all the all that TG Carr is shown and and Gary pointed out, well, this is supported by you know effectively like people people watching it and the end justifies the means. But like just with TG Carr and the whole televised thing, because you did talk about it a bit last week, they're not showing any League of Ireland, so we don't even know like where where is your kind of um test your your test dummy here to see how this gets on because you've shown women's national league. Well, why can't show? Why not show gaming? If go, why not show go United and Watford last week and see how that would have worked out? So we don't we don't even know if you're showing under twenty games. You're showing like a lot of um, women's Gaelic. You're showing a lot of this or that. Why not show the League of Ireland and give it a go? That's all I would say. Yeah. That's that's you basically respond. You you've done your own mailbag there in response to last week's show. Like, yeah, I, I I wasn't there to say like I know I know the I know people watch uh, I know they watch under twenties I know they watch this so they watch that but what's to stop TG Carr um going to one League of Ireland game even in Terryland it's literally down the road from their offices and showing a game because you know yeah. there's a lot of interest yeah, yeah. yeah well I think that there's, there's obviously a few questions in there I think about Virgin and um will they be doing more and I, and I, I what are you hearing I think they will be yeah if they will be um so. We will wait in due course to see. Because um, we did have a point. Um, sorry, I, I know I'm trying to cut down uh, on my talking here, um, but I'm I'm still talking a lot. But uh, Tom Kennedy did have a, a good question as well. It makes the point that for a summer league, the heat seems to go off the league during the summer. Fixtures become more sporadic for European games. RT coverage doesn't seem to be as regular. And there's probably a burnout from football after the Premier League ends. It makes reference to LOI late night on off the ball stopping last year. I don't think that was. Yeah, I think there's a few factors for that. Our club's looking at ways to keep the focus with all distractions the summer brings. The fair point, I think more to the point, Tom, is that when the teams get involved with Europe, that the league six the league schedule becomes very staggered, you know, that you don't actually have a normal Friday night. Like you might only have one or two between then and uh October, you know, if a team does well. And that was definitely a thing last year, you'd notice. Um and it's true. It's I mean that's why a lot of these extra fixtures. Now I think we have extra games next Monday because they're European games, European fixtures rescheduled, um, you know, brought brought back on the calendar. Um, I think that's a valid point. I mean, there was a comment about you know a couple of crowds dropping off last week. I don't think they're dramatic, you know, and I wouldn't be analysing them too much, you know. Um, I think it's just you know certain fixtures teams were playing and you know shells were low, but they're playing UCD like, um. But it's something you have to be mindful of as well too. Like you know, people, there's a novelty that, that comes in. Then you, yeah, you would have holidays. You would have certain things that, um, you know, you'd have certain things that sort of uh, are a drain on people's time, that affect your attendances. Um, but I don't know. I feel like 
the crowd this year are generally more resilient that it's not going to be affected as much. But it's true, you'll have a lot of Sunday games and that, that can be an, a half an issue for people for whatever reason. They like the routine on a Friday nights. People get into the routine of bringing their kids on a Friday night or bringing their friends' kids and it's all slots in and, and you move to Sunday and suddenly it's just not as smooth. Therefore, yeah, and I, I mean, I was staggered by the amount of kids at the, the Cove game, the last home game I was at in Galway. Interesting one, Dan, from Kevin Mullen. Where on earth have Athlone earthed this gold machine? Uh, Piero from Haiti. Have any of the bigger clubs taken notice yet? 10 goals in 12 games, and we don't speak much about it alone because, um, you know, they're pretty inept at promoting themselves in general but they've done that on the pitch they're fourth in the table and the Haitian kid um, who's not the first obviously to play in the League of Ireland we've had a few he's been doing amazingly well I, I did talk to somebody who was involved in that loan previously um, actually at a game in Talca lately who suggested that the club um, may soon be taken over I don't think that's um, I don't know if there's been any movement on that since but they're flying it in the table Dan and the first division is, is obviously quite a, a basket case because from Cove Ramblers, we'll say, are third with 21, done, done, done very well. And Finn Harps are second from bottom with 14. But basically, they're all in that battle to finish somewhere between second and fifth. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's well established that Athlone have had this um, this link up with Valley yeah. Football. Sorry, it's, it's sort of well established. So that's where it's come from, Kevin. Just uh, they've, they've linked up with this American um, uh, institution, you know, and, and there's been various appointments. Like, I mean, I've been told some of those players are amateurs as well. So no, it's 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 highly unusual because I can't imagine doing it for free either. So, I mean, I, I don't know what's going on there, but I have to link up. But yeah, the first division generally, yeah, it does seem like definitely Pearl Kerry, everyone else can have a have a sort of a dreams of a playoff in some shape or form. We did have a couple of um messages in as well just about in relation to Kerry when are they going to win a game to be fair like Dan they have been consistent it's it's not easy to bring a bunch of players in it's a lot of them without League of Ireland experience really um, into this level and when you Finn Harps sort of quite well resourced team second last Longford Wexford you know these are teams that are all vying for everyone in that division is vying for the playoffs ex- except obviously Kerry um, but I, I do kind of hope they win a game shortly yeah it'd be nice to see it happen but they just keep conceding goals I think that's the that's the point. Yeah, um, we've had a few comments, obviously, about the about intact story, and I suppose that's developed. I don't know if there's anything that stands out from you there, Johnny. Do you want to go through a couple of them? Yeah, it was. I got a couple of people going on to me about my various comments on this in terms of like I do a racing podcast as well. And funny, Dan, the you know I do a racing podcast, Racing dot com, and um, there's the two people there absolutely. Um, you know, totally from the racing school of either being from a yard or from racing journalism and no issues whatsoever with what the FEI has done here. None whatsoever. Um, I don't know how the last couple of weeks have been for you in this regard and have you any more developments for us because it hasn't gone out of the news. No, I mean, it's still going on. There's still questions continuing. Um, you know, the, the, I know there was stuff in last week. It's been discussed in the doll. I mean, it's been very clearly established that there's a link between the... Uh, the uh, the betting fund, uh, the betting tax income, and the horse and greyhound fund. It's just not a direct link. The, the money goes from one account to the other. But you basically, like, there's actually been a, a huge amount of time wasted battling this disingenuous racing yeah. industry fence that there's no link between the two. You know, and uh, that even the accusation is there. Are, are you questioning government? And I'm thinking, Jesus, like, I think the racing sector might be the only sector of any description anywhere in Ireland that has a completely uh, wider than wide view of uh, our government and official channels and will take their word as gospel no matter what because of course 
they would never blur the truth on any issue. Um, and how dare you suggest such a thing? I mean, I I, I think like I said, I'm not going to roll around again, but you just have to do some very basic uh, journalism, and you can see that uh, the racing defence is is huge, disingenuous, and in a way, like maybe you, you can argue, like you know, if the if if the racing fund, if the horse and greyhound, I mean, the greyhound element is still comical, right? But the horse and greyhound racing fund, if uh, if you say it's not a direct link, but if the sort of the the income that they receive or they deliver to the betting tax pot, if that is used as a, a notional guide, which has been acknowledged, you know, it factors into the policy picture that decides the allocation of funding, but it's not a direct link. Then what's to stop the 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 exact same thing existing with the FAI? It's not you're not directly getting the betting tax money because no one does. But we are aware that you, you your sport delivers this amount of betting tax, and maybe we can we can use that as part of the policy picture to inform greater funding, and maybe that's the best result for everyone. No one's taking money for from from anyone, um. But there's an acknowledgement that yes, let's let the betting receipts income influence funding that goes to you. Maybe that's the best uh, solution for all. But we have a lot of different comments in there. I see. I mean, I was. Can you run through a couple of them there, Johnny? Dan, with the Oriel Express as well, thoughts on Neil Madeline's article claiming the FEI made serious timing and tactical missteps uh, with release of their betting levy report as they're just trying to agree an extended bailout um, with merit or deflective hit piece. Uh, well, actually, over to you on that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I read that piece Ian's former communications consultant with yes. the FEI. I don't agree with the tone of the piece at all. I actually think that's in line. I think that piece even suggests that, you know, football cost the taxpayer money. I think that's looking through um, life through far too narrow a prism. Um, football has huge benefits that go beyond the relationships between the FBI and the government and their transactions. When people talk about racing, people talk about their wider benefit. When you talk about football, you talk about the same. But I think there's some people within football in the last week, generally, I'm not talking about Ian, just in general, who are, I think they got so obsessed with the palace intrigue of politics and all this sort of Oh, all these figures and movers and shakers that they, I just think that's part of the old school reputation that's hurt the FBI for years as sort of a, uh, not able to divorce itself from its parish and what it represents. And um, football delivers huge benefits to the economy. That doesn't change. Uh, you don't punish all those people who play the game and, 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 and the greater number of people who are touched by football than are by other sports and, and say that that's no basis for them to, uh, to, you know that they should almost keep their head down and be quiet because of some issues. I just think that's I don't agree with that. I mean, you would know racing very well. There's been issues with the current redevelopment. There's been you know issues at grain racing administration level, and no one really talks about punishing them. People talk about the impact on their industry if they suffered less funding, i.e., all the people active and involved in it. And uh, with football, it seems like they want to go into the ball boys corner every so often. And um, that just to me, that's the mentality that's all wrong. But I don't think people. Have fought the case well for football in the past, and and um that probably extends to people who, who work there. So um I don't agree with Ian's take uh, pretty much at all in any way. It's that's what I mean. Football costs money. Like what? Like honestly, and I think the the current spending has been give or take ninety to a hundred million. 
Cora is really struggling to get crowds, um, and and that, that there's a bit of a legacy issue there. But I agree that the Cora needed to be redeveloped. But the government has obviously, um, you know, backed other sports, certainly backs racing and backs greyhound racing, which to be fair, I think would basically collapse if it weren't for government's, you know, life support. Effectively, I don't think we've heard the the last about the whole um the government taxing, and uh, I I do take umbrage with racing suggesting, oh, like why is I mean, how dare uh football or soccer or whatever it is, you know look at what we're doing and why don't they focus on their own issues well actually that's that is our issue because a load of money's just been effectively handed out to other sports whatever you want to call them horse racing and greyhound racing or sports um from betting effectively from betting money that isn't all at all on racing or greyhound uh, racing so um I, I i think the the narrative has begun here, and I don't think it's gone away, and I think that's all good. There is an issue here, Dan, about uh, one of the instant messages about Stephen Bradley's clobber during matches. wasn't really expecting that to come up. Someone did point out to me during the game uh, last Friday that I think the staff have matching runners, you know, the the, the backroom staff. And uh, I think, like, they've always been big on that. with the green jumpers for signing players and stuff? I think it's yeah. part culture you know I don't think you'd see um, generally sometimes you might see the manager in a suit and, and the, the sort of the staff in track suits or whatever but over it's very much you know we, we manage together we, we dress together I'm not suggesting they dress together but <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean it's, it's all very much on message but that was Coach Kenny with that message so um, one of the Kennys in a, it's one of the Kenny family I think so um, yeah I don't know have you noticed I I haven't to be fair, but um yeah I mean if if they were uh to go down that route, Decky and Colin Cuff would obviously look after them. Really nice clobber. Uh, I think he has. I think he has previously. I think he might be. There we go. Might be a client. Yeah. yeah. MJ Walk responded to your question with, "Will you still cover the first division when Gold will get promoted?" Um. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, I haven't exactly been at that many games myself this season, unfortunately. The game on Friday was interesting in the sense that um, Waterford just weren't great at all, and uh, Galway United kind of like Galway United did them really just one one ball, one goal, some second ball stuff like that. Scored a couple of goals um, from sort of Waterford mistakes, but ten points, Dan. I I mean, Galway United haven't won anything since nineteen ninety seven. Ten points now to me. Waterford don't actually look good enough, as you mentioned. They lost to um. Lost to Wexford or last year. They actually don't look good enough. Um, I just just to mention to um Alan Reynolds as well, Dan, because Alan lost his mother um since I was last on the podcast. But uh, a lot of people got on to me. My auntie did pass away last week. You kind of alluded to a family bereavement. A lot of people got on to me because they heard on the podcast, and I'm really really thankful for them for doing that. But just a special praise to Alan Reynolds who asked me um how I was getting on because he'd heard of a family bereavement and I, I at that stage didn't even know that his own mother had passed away so my sympathies to Alan Reynolds and um, Ian Keith Long obviously have a, a lot of work ahead of them at Waterford yeah no they do um, yeah it's obviously a, you haven't really answered the question um, yeah like but but to be fair um, I, I'd be watching less of it, uh, presuming Galway United get promoted. But um, no, I mean, the first division is going to be the middle tier going forward as well. So yeah, all is good. Um, and it's going to be competitive next season. Although I do wonder, mm, I do wonder who's going to who's gonna go up uh, beyond Galway United. Yeah, well, you need, you need the third tier to be established before it becomes mm. the middle tier. Kieran Roddy was asking us, has James Bertain played his last game for Wigan? Um, and I don't know if he's played his... I don't know if he's played his last game for Wigan, but I wouldn't be expecting him to play his next game for Derry. Um, 
Kieran, yeah, I see that one during the rounds. All right, I don't think people are fully aware of how much money um, and McLean would be earning at Wigan. And I'm not saying that it's about money for someone like that, but um, it's quite uh, it's quite a leap to presume that they're suddenly going to pitch up uh, from Derry when he's still doing it, still playing at a good level for Wigan. Would he fit into the Derry? Would he fit into the Derry system though, Dan? Ben Doherty, faster left back, more dynamic going forward. For me, James McLean wouldn't even be, he wouldn't be an absolute banker starter because I don't know where he'd fit into the team, discuss. He'd start every week. Where? Well, it's a good point about, like, you know, the Duffy, the Doherty axis, but they'd find, like, McLean is playing at a really, like, McLean has still been decent for Wigan in the championship this year. Yeah. Really high level. Like, we have comments in here about, you know, Dawson Devoy, who, you know, MK Johns went down, and in fairness, Dawson Devoy was actually heavily involved in the second half of that game and mm. probably won. One of their main players, Dara Burns, has been a real disappointment there, to be honest. Ross Tierney, it's hard for players to go over. Like someone like James McLean has played every minute almost in the championship. That's way above the level of the game here. That's just not to lead ourselves that he would that he would struggle in some way. It's just nonsense. No, he wouldn't struggle, but I'm not actually sure that he'd make that much difference to Derry, if that makes sense. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I think you're wrong. Yeah. Okay. I think you're wrong. Um, you would mention it. I think, I think, uh, I think, uh, I I, I mean, I remember Neil Frugia, you know, the dominating Ben Doherty uh, in talent, probably attacking boys. He wouldn't do that to James McLean. No chance. I mean, it's just like it's, it's ludicrous. But anyway, um, I'd love to see James playing back in the league. I think that's the ambition. But It will happen. Uh, some of these accounts uh, that are, are taking stories on like Instagram comments and it's just embar- and, like, embarrassing stuff that it can take, it can take, uh, it can take flight. D- Damien Byrne, Dan, um, any soundings on jobs at Pats or Cork? It is a bit mad that, like, you just think that, you know, it's it's not even so much um, the jobs that are available or not available, but it's like, well, where do Tim Clancy and Colin Healy go from here? I don't know, yeah. Well, Tim Clancy's not going to Cork anyway. I think that was where that was going around. Mm-hmm. And Healy probably, I mean, hopefully Healy can just be back into the academy or maybe the SEI underage, because I think that's probably where his passion probably is. And... No, I don't really have mad soundings on the job, but I, but I think I had small violin. I haven't been able to speak for the last couple of days, so I, I haven't been ringing people. At Mitchell, any ideas yet if Rovers are likely to be seated again for the CL draw? Yes, 100%. Um, they're playing like a team, Dan. I mean, they're playing like a team that's going to be well-suited. The amount of ballers they have. Um, we did kind of allude to this, so looking back in the game Friday, there's a lot of pressure on Gary O'Neill in that defensive situation if there, if there are, if there is a turnover of the ball. Yeah, I still think with Rovers, the problem is that like team good teams can get at them. You know, they give them chances, and um, you know, a couple of one or two of the Bows chances last week. I mean, Rovers actually had bodies there, and I just don't think that they're a brilliant defensive side. Um, and I think in Europe they 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 found that, and even even when they went up in Europe and tried to crowd bodies, they weren't particularly good at at um shutting down teams either away from home more so than at home to be fair but um, they need to play on the front foot and take risks that's what they do but in Europe obviously teams are better at punishing them um, and that's just a slight fear that they can get away with it a little bit more at home because teams aren't good enough to punish them You did, you did mention the bus incident but yeah the, the Keith Murphy illusion that bows are kind of being punished by referees because of the bus I mean only in the League of Ireland could you, you actually can make this shit up a, a, a small presumably quite padded immature bus um, little you know falling into kind of the the, the, the foot of a referee during a game um, directed by remote control 
could have resulted in Bose not getting decisions. I mean, stranger things have happened, I suppose. Stranger things have happened. We do have another one here. I was, This is from Rolo. I was thinking about Jonathan Hill and the piggy backing the British Euro bids. Wouldn't it be better off if we put in a bid for the Under-20 World Cup and use it to get public money to renovate LOI grounds and training facilities to host it? Yeah, I've always said that. I think um, that would be a, like a European Under-21 Championship or something would be a great project to go after, but that's not the type of thing that gives a uh, political the political brains in this country, the the hard-on they need to be interested. Yeah. That's, you know, I mean, like, uh, that doesn't that doesn't get the, the, the news sections talking. It doesn't deflect you from uh, the agenda of the day. You know, there's no, there's no glamour on that, you know, but uh, of course, I mean, why would I question the integrity or the uh, motivations from uh, of anyone in Marion Street at all? Um, I, I, they do everything for the right reasons so I'm told or maybe I was just listening to a racing podcast yeah that's uh, quite nicely done I think that's pretty much the mailbag Dan I don't know how your yeah. voice is holding up no uh, not well but um, let's let's move on to the last week's quiz question the longest serving League of Ireland club that hadn't participated in Europe the answer is called Ramblers because that's it's continue. you know it's not a continuous service it's it's lifelong um, service so uh, Cove Ramblers yeah they've been in the league longer than anyone else um, that hasn't been in Europe, so um, hopefully one day they can they can get there. Um, but the the winner of that question is Liam Farrell. Um, guided, well done, Liam. The guided tour of Rascals Brewery, Liam, is yours. We had some wrong answers, uh, a lot of Wexford shouts and so on. But uh, oh, is the answer. So the the treat is yours. This week's question. Sometimes I wonder have I done this before. If I have, I apologise. Um, but as for the guided tour of Rascals Brewery. Um, can you name the two current League of Ireland clubs who participated in the first ever League of Ireland season? So, can you name the two clubs who participated in the first League of Ireland season? I thought I knew this. Um, I think you asked a similar question, but not the not the same one recently. So, yeah, that's a good question. I apologise if I did, but um, anyway, I just, that that's my thinking capacity is limited, so that's what I've done. Um, I've got this Anna's foot and mouth. I wouldn't recommend it if anyone out there has ever picked this up from like. Uh, uh, a small child in their life it's, a, it's the disease that adults aren't meant to get uh, and it's not foot and mouth as in the one that had us all um, you know stopped in 2001 my sister taught me of foot and mouth and she was like have you got an illness that cows are only supposed to have and I was like yeah, no 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 um, there's a human uh, hand foot and mouth but I wouldn't recommend it because it actually impedes on your ability to use your hand your feet and your mouth not fun uh, not to be said for your health, to be fair. Not to be said for your health, and like, yeah, just just avoid it. Um, uh, if if you hear any reference of it in your life, uh, quarantine from those people that might have it. And um, because I've had a little bit of a mini quarantine here. Um, but anyway, that this week's question. Um, and as ever, get your answers into us. Otherwise, Central Pod uh, on Twitter and on Instagram. Yeah, and the mailbag winner will go to will go for Ryan Caban on that. I think Ryan's uh, question on the referees wasn't just calling them a disgrace, and it was a rounded picture. So, uh, yeah, the Cotter and Cuff fifty-year voucher coming your way, Ryan. But let's move on to our guests. Yeah, delighted to welcome Mike Gagan. He's the head of uh, youth developments at Watford, and Craig Sexton, um, the head of the academy at Bowes, to the show. And uh, lads, is a fairly obvious place to start here, just in relation to the. The, the comments of Will Clark, who's, I guess, the, the, the head of that area in the League of Ireland, said recently about the 
the paucity of underage um, people involved and actually paid academy heads in Ireland. Um, and we've seen the under-17s Irish team qualify for the Euros. Both of you have players involved with your relevant clubs. Just, just starting with you, Mike, the, what's it like down in Watford? And um, I guess, can you see what Will was alluding to? Yeah, I suppose it's, it's steps, John. I mean, we're probably gone from volunteer towards part-time whereby we've probably doubled in uh, contact hours in the last three years. So we're, we're trying to do a bit more on the financial return to coaches. So we've moved away from most of the guys being volunteered to some of the guys being, being part-time, and we're asking a bit more of them. We also probably depend a bit too much on goodwill. So I'm probably ringing goodwill out, out lads a lot too to try and get the extra contact hours without much extra enumeration. But there's a sort of willingness here to get on board a model and build a model that would hopefully start repaying or looking after people in the future. Like, how, how long are you involved in it? Because, I mean, it was kind of landed on the League of Ireland clubs, and I know League of Ireland clubs have a poor record in general with underage until this became a national underage league. And how long are you involved, and how has it been from the get-go, I suppose? Yeah, I suppose I, I came in different. I came in as I was coaching director for the Kildare League before I moved down to this part of the world. And I'm in this role about three years. And we've probably got a stage where we probably moved the players on from more training contact hours to eight in that, in that period of time where we've added in maturation testing, we've added in three fitness tests a year, we've added in regular gym programming to the guys. So it looks and feels completely different to the players. So it's trying to move it as close to a full-time environment without having the abilities at the moment to have a full-time environment. How much does it cost? To run an academy? Yeah. I'd say basically looking at a, a quarter of a million minimum to do it right. So it has to... And that's before, I guess, that's before, like, you you get, you get you pay as many coaches as you can. And then you're trying to develop players, obviously, to make the first team or to, I guess, maybe ideally get sold on down the line. Is that sort of, like, what is the thought process in, in involved? Well, the thought process that to try and get players to, you know, all we can do in an academy is try to get players to certain levels. So our starting point is to try to get the 17s and 19s as close to first team fitness levels and ability levels as we can. It then falls into someone else's brief to see that they pick them or see are they better and they can maybe go to a higher level than than league because we're first divisions. So we probably would believe that we're producing players in the last three years that will go on to be able to play that level and higher. And, and how many coaches have you involved on there then, Mike? Ah, uh, it has in total between the the four boys teams and the the two girls probably twenty five to thirty coaches. Oh, it's 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 a lot of um. It's a lot of people, Craig, obviously, and as Mike mentioned, across the league, you have a lot of volunteers, the money isn't there. You look at some of the clubs, I don't know how they even, you know, come up with uh, the underage uh, system at all, considering, you know, their crowds and I suppose the, the base of the club. But what's it like at Bowes? Because it's, it's, you know, obviously you have such a, um, a proud history as well of bringing players through with your various associations with other clubs as well. Yeah, I think it's look one of the good places in the club value is the academy. So I think that's we're quite lucky that they wanted to succeed and they fund it and they support it from a resource point of view. So we're quite lucky from that point of view. We're, we're probably still facing the same problems that Mike is, whether we're in Dublin or Waterford, um, in terms of volunteer coaches or part-time coaches, and that's that's going to that's probably the stumbling block for us right now. We've probably grown to a point where we need to go to another level, um, and that another level needs to be more resources and more contact with our players. I think we've done a brilliant job up until this point, but we're at that worst of point, I think, now. Yeah, and in the sense of how long have you been involved with Bowes? 
Um, I've working at the club probably eight years now, in around I'd say. Various roles, so 17s, 19s, head coach at 19s. I'm in my current role 18 months now uh, with the club, so they've, they decided to go down the route of having a full-time academy manager 18 months ago and I was shortlisted and I'm probably unlucky to get the job, <laughs> I would say, on reflection. <laughs> and you, you see the, the links, like the links with Kevin's, how has that been in terms of having that relationship with what was a long-time nursery club and trying to bring that into a League of Ireland context? Obviously, Evan Ferguson be the obvious example. Yeah, look, it, our, our relationship is still brilliant with Kevin's and, and it has been. And I'm, I'm very lucky to work with them from their point of view. Um, Skillboy clubs have a rich tradition of producing players as well and we can't forget that. So we can't just discard that and, and walk away from that. We need to almost try and join that up as best as possible. And that's what we've tried to do. We're having kind of a bit more of a different model and change in the model recently to, to work with a little bit more of a broader base of clubs um, that we can include more and work closely with more clubs, I suppose. And Kevin's been a big part of that as well. And, um, and we're, we're lucky to, to have that relationship, I suppose, with Kevin's. And they produce brilliant players. Even my time when I played, Robbie Brady's, Jeff Hendricks, right through to Dawson Devoyes, Ross Dernies, um, that we've all worked with, you know. But just remind me then, Craig, what is the situation with Bose at the moment? Like, what is your... Uh, your your partner status with respect to clubs because obviously the Kevin's League isn't quite what it was. Yeah, so we've we've a multiple affiliate model, I suppose, if you want to call it that. Um, we're going to keep it quite small, so we're their affiliations as opposed to exclusive partnerships. So the the nitty gritty is for the clubs to decide and what it looks like, and that point of view from the board level at Bowes and and these clubs decide what that looks like from an agreement point of view. Nothing's really changed from a football point of view, Darren, to be totally honest with you. It looks quite similar. We work closely. I actually think it, we're going to work even more closely, to be honest with you, from our point of view, with, with how we engage with each other from a, an actual practical point of view and more visibility because it's probably something that we fell short on in recent times and it's on reflection. We need to be better at it and it's something that we're conscious of. We won't grow into a big model in terms of 15, 20 clubs or anything like that. It won't. It will stay quite small because we want to we want to engage properly with the clubs that it's not just something that's on the wall um, that it's we're actually visible with each other you know because I think um, I mean, Johnny references Will Clark there's the head of the academy development in the League of Ireland and it was a tweet around the time the team qualified for the European Championships under 17s that Ireland is one of only four countries in Europe that has less than one full time uh, academy staff member per club and like some of the stats around that are eye watering like Luton Town have more people working in their section than the entire league or there's many other points you can figure out like Craig just ask them when uh, Johnny asked Mike how many coaches do you have in the academy and how many of them are actually being paid yeah we'd, we'd be ballparks similar to to Mike in around 24 26 I think we have off the, off the last count they done um, and that's like that goes through then we've different multi-disciplines so whether it's physios we've charted physios working directly with our players we've S&C coaches every the majority, if 90 to 95% of people would receive expenses or part-time payments, whatever that might look like for everybody. So, um, But again, people aren't doing it. In my opinion, people in, in academy football at the moment running for the love of the game, but they're certainly not making money from it and it's it's not life-changing for them. So that's what we need to look at, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, Mike, or you can come in here or, or, or Craig, like, I mean, that, the achievement of that under-17 European Championships team, right, that, like, they were the first team in Europe to qualify Um. It's superb, right? Like it's, it's brilliant that those lads are generally at the age where you would traditionally go away, right? That's basically, they are the, the, the guys who are in that sort of 16 age bracket. What can we offer them between 16 to 18 now? And like, how does that compare in any way to what they would previously get 
if they went overseas, as they would, as Evan Ferguson did, whatever Liverpool was there. You know, others, you know, traditionally went away at 16 and they would be sort of the finishing school would be the UK between 16 to 18. What can we do for these guys now? George Obimwick? Yeah, I, I think in terms of that, Dan, we, what we can do is probably not enough at the moment. Um, in terms of, say, the couple of guys we have going away with that Ireland squad, they would be regularly chained with the first team now. So we're trying to bridge the gap with the first team and we're trying to get guys off school and certain releases and trying to get that thing done by increasing the ability of the or the level of the team they're training with within the club. From an academy perspective, the only way we could do it is if I can get a resource in daytime, if I had two, three full-time staff that even during school holidays and days off, that I could get the kids in for extra hours and extra work. So that would make a huge difference. So I don't think it needs to be completely full, full-time, but I think we're way off full-time is kids are four months, five months off school every year. We can't take advantage of that because I can't get my coaches in until the evening. Yeah, yeah. come in, Craig. Yeah, I think it's uh, very much the same. It's, it comes back to resources all the time. So it comes back to how we can fund it and how we can get the right people in the right positions to, to do the right jobs for us, I suppose. And, we're all probably similar, so we're probably at that, that 16 to 18 is, is a crucial one as well for bridging the gap to the first team football. So, Evan, using as the example, Evan's gone early and Evan's been in a proper full time environment now and he's reaping the benefits of that. Was Evan going to be a player anyway? I would imagine so. Um, but he, he's at that crucial age where he's bridging the gap to the first team when he's getting the right exposure. At the minute, can we offer that? In some cases, we probably can, so we can probably bridge the gap quickly to Air Force team because we can expose them in a full-time environment. Can everybody do that? Should it be at the detriment to their education? Probably not. Should we work closer with our education? We probably should. I think this, we need to be a little bit more creative in how we work. Um, so there's a lot of probably questions to answer there, but again, it'll all just eventually boil back down to money in, in the reality of it, you know? And that's the fact. Yeah. So like basically, our, our full-time solution in this country at the moment is you have to put 16-year-olds in with adults to give them the required training time that they need. I don't think there's any other... Uh, I, know, I know various clubs have various you know, transition year schemes and, and there are various things that exist. But in reality, that's where we're at, right? And, and it's sort of, you know, I think Miall Martin spoke a couple of years back about we need to address this area. And we've heard messages from various times of government and, and clearly there's a huge education element. But surely, like, there's a compelling case there because not every 16-year-old is going to be able to be equipped for that environment. Yes, you will have your Gavin Bazunu characters and Evan Ferguson characters who are, but I'm guessing there's probably quieter, you know, less developed sort of 16-year-olds who could benefit from full-time football but just can't get it here effectively if they're not ready to be in with the first team, which is sort of great. Yeah, I mean, we, we have a one guy, what, Kid, Kid, he's very, very talented under 17. Now, he's nowhere ready to go to first team physically, and we actually played him down at 15s last year. But the kid has now seven or eight goals at this level of 17s, and really for him and, and that type of player, highly creative, highly skillful, smaller player, who's not physically ready for first team, we don't really have something for him. We don't have enough to bridge that gap apart from getting him in for the, the three training nights a week. So I do think this is where... I mean, I know Will has made the point, this is where we start to fall short. So probably up to now, playing him 15, some games, 17s, training with both those squads, he's getting the proper good number of hours for a, a kid of 15. He's probably not getting the right hours now for a kid of 16, 17. Just to figure you mentioned a quarter of a million, Mike, um, which to me, 
this might sound daft, but I actually don't think that's an awful lot of money in this country. A quarter of a million, if you compare it to English clubs, is probably laughably small. But it's a lot of money when there's no when there's no money coming in. But say the Evan Ferguson money to Bowes in a very very good scenario from the feed that Bowes are going to get could actually pay for two League of Ireland, the, every club in the League of Ireland for two years at a quarter of a million, right? Just Evan Ferguson alone. Now that's a, an outlier scenario, but like. Do the clubs do deserve credit, I think, because there's no real prize money in the League of Ireland. They've had to do this all themselves, and they've produced the League of Ireland now at underage level. That's of a very, very high standard, to be fair, with very, very little help. Yeah, I think and you've also got the added pressure of the of the clubs moving and trying to progress the women's side of the game. Mm. Probably having the last four to five years, the women's academies, 1917s coming on. Boys 15s, 14s being added in. So there's a lot of pressure has come on the clubs to form that different type. And it'd be a shame if we had a trade-off that it's one or the other. So why haven't we got 16 boys because we have something else on the other side of the game? Well, I think what we're doing is we are trading off. Why don't we have 21s? We Craig said it's money. We don't have 21s because of money. Is every 18-year-old playing under 19 going to be able to go along to the first team to get those chances? Probably not. Does a first-team manager look at a 21-year-old centre-half different than an 18-year-old centre-half? I would think so. So we now have a month where we're probably going to send kids over in under-21s football in England who may then come back to Ireland because we don't offer them that same level here. And I think that's a big gap for us. Yeah, just come in on that, Craig. Yeah, I think it's like it's... it's You're looking at everything kind of as a whole and saying... What do we want to do and what do we want to achieve? So there's some clubs that are willing to spend an awful lot more than that. There's some clubs that want to to look at an awful lot less. And, and it's where they are in the landscape of, of Irish football. And that's fine. It's to do with the resources. I think the important bit around that is we, we know a lot of, from speaking with Will, is around the academy certification. And I think that's going to be crucial for Irish football going forward in the academy sense, I think. And it's going to, it's going to change mindsets. Mm. Um, I, I, I still think we have a little bit of a amateurish schoolboy type mentality towards academy football in in some parts of the of the country and that's that's not a criticism i just think that's where we are i think we need to put better standards around what we're doing i think there needs to be a better idea of we want to drive the game forward from a standards point of view and i think the certification will allow for that so that'll turn around and have a, a distribution model off the back of that so if balls want to put an awful lot more money into something and have a better product we should get more back likewise if if or wherever it may be It'll also improve the standard of games. I think with games programs being tailored towards the certification and and all the different things that will come to us. So I, I honestly believe that the this academy certification is is going to be the tipping point for us to move forward. I think, um, and and hopefully it will it will allow for everybody to have better standards around and drive what we're doing because I think there's a lack of ambition at times from some clubs as well. I think if we didn't have to have academies and areas because of licensing, they probably wouldn't. That's not a criticism. That's that's people's choices. Um, I'm just I'm ingrained and working in a club that really values an academy, and that's that's kind of what we do, you know. So, yeah, I think I think for people who aren't aware, the academy certification is just. I mean, I, I think people sometimes talk about League of Ireland academies, and they think of like the the twenty clubs, um, I suppose in the in the men's ladder, and they think of them all. You know, they all have an academy, and they all. If talking about funding, we talk about maybe funding all twenty of them. But as we know. Some clubs are more committed than others, and the, the certification is effectively looking to grade them, you know, to grade the various academies and, and put them in, and, and maybe in a place where the more you put in, uh, the more you get back. But I, I that sort of like leads me to wonder, like, how actually is the system at the moment working um, in terms of the games program? I think that this this year they've changed it a bit. 
not keeping the league tables at, at under fourteen level, and um, we still see mismatches. Like we see heavy, heavy defeats for teams. Like I mean, how is it? How is it? Is it functioning? Is it different? Like for I wonder maybe Mikey for you. I remember speaking to someone in Kerry about this. You know, they don't really get the players at under fourteen level. Um, whereas I guess you know clubs in Dublin actually might have access to players when they're younger. Um, but sometimes the under fourteen teams in the regional that their first time together as a group is at under fourteen level. I I don't know what's the what's the landscape like from your perspective at the moment in terms of the leagues. But we you see that the thing is we don't actually have a model. Like we talk about the national league, we have a number of different models. So we have mm-hmm. Rovers and Shells taking kids in very young. They've got kids at seven, eight years of age. They're as a recruit, bring them through their academy. We've got a system there by maybe we, we can't talk to a 2010 next year until the 1st of July. So we're saying, okay, there's the biggest club in the country in Rovers with the biggest funding, getting kids six years before we do. And then by next January, we're competing with that club. And someone says, oh, the Rovers beat you eight nearly. got be fairly, fairly poor of them if they didn't. And I think that stuff, we need a model that's consistent throughout the country. It's also reflective. If you look at the under-15 international team that got great praise recently a fair play, there's two kids from National League clubs outside Dublin in that squad, or a 22. There's four from outside the country. So if we're only bringing one kid from Cork City and one kid from Finn Harps through our this National League structure under-15, I'm not saying anybody, but someone needs to look at it. Someone needs to have a good look and see if the process works for Rovers and they're getting eight players through, what happens if that process was nationwide? Now, maybe not six, seven, eight years of age, but maybe we all had them at 12 years of age. Give it the 17 squad to continue. That's got a good mix of kids outside Dublin, but that group was brought in under 13. So even having the extra year and a half start with that group, your sixes and your sevens came in under 13. That's actually helping, has helped a number of country kids to make that squad. Yeah, I, I think you're touching on a couple of fascinating points there. Like, is there... Is the resentment towards Shamrock Rovers? I know a lot of even the young players now are Rovers have come from different parts of the country, and a lot of parents want that as well. They want their player to be at the best club, and it must be very hard for like the best kid in Watford if somehow there's an option of going to Shamrock Rovers. It's like the old days, but to me, I don't know that doesn't sit easily either. No, I, I see. I wouldn't say the resentment. It's it's looking at. I mean, Rovers. I think do say. I mean, do set the standard. But if you're, if someone's setting the standard and you think, well, we want to chase that standard and the rules of the game, well, you can't chase them. You can't do what they can do. We go, well, how do we improve my standards? How do I make sure that I haven't got a bunch of kids who, like last year, were in the National League for two months going out and playing a Rovers team that were mainly together for six years? Mm. Again, it's nearly, it's almost self-fulfilling because I think Rovers played Belvedere in under 13S Cup match recently. You could probably now say that 12 of the kids that play in that match on average may make the international squad. I may look at my group already and say the incoming group that none of them might make. But it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy unless we adopt a model that it's that is fairly consistent across the line and we're all giving the kids for uh, the correct development windows. 30 yeah. 40, in my eyes, is too late. So so like that's, I mean, like that is a... I mean, given how... There was resistance in some parts of schoolboy football in the country to even the idea of an under thirteen or an under fourteen league. And um, like, but what the picture you're painting there is that, like, you need individual arrangements around the country. Like, I don't think, for example, right, what's your relationship like with the clubs in your in your vicinity when it comes to this? When it comes to if you wanted to maybe get lads in for a training camp when they were ten or eleven. 
or 12, you basically can't do that, right? And where does the emerging talent program and all this stuff stand, which sort of used to be a, used to exist as a as a as a means of getting kids together? But clearly, it's probably it seems like it's redundant given what's happening in Dublin relative to other parts of the country. There's no there's no emerging talent program in Dublin. I think it's produced eighteen of the kids for the under fifteen squad. There's emerging talent program all over the country, which has produced two. So if that emerging talent bubble is costing 600000 to produce two players, and somebody would say it to me, oh no, one or two of Rovers lads used to be in the ETP, but you're talking semantics. And to me, it's a problem that has produced two players. Now, of course, there's a girl's side. But why, again, have we got a model where there's an emerging talent program run directly from the SEI around the country, and there's no emerging talent program running directly in Dublin, which is producing the greater number of international players at younger ages? Yeah, I, don't, I think that's... Yeah, it, it, it sort of poses the point. I mean, because we've seen a couple of flashpoints in the last year in various parts of the country with getting access to players and the registration windows changing. I mean, how complicated is even is that at the moment? The the, the, the season's not even been aligned um, between underage and you know, the, and National League and, and sort of local league. I mean, that's obviously... A, I don't know, Craig, what's it, what, how have you found that side of things? I know Dublin is maybe slightly different, as Mike points out, but just uh, there's obviously been some issues with the DDSL in recent years. It hasn't always been plain sailing. Yeah, I, I definitely say it's a lot smoother now, to be honest with you. Um, and that was, look, that's part of our model now going forward is that we can have access to our affiliate club sooner. So our affiliate club players, so Kevin's players, Belvedere players, Castlenock, Swords, these players come in at under twelve toward the ends. We have them in the building regularly, and they they have we have access to them. They have access to us, and that's a part of our relationships now. So we've kind of tried to bat away from that hole where the sits there, where Mike is, where it's well, you can't touch our players till the first of July, or you, you can't have access at certain times, or whatever it may be. So, um, we also have our own skill by section as well, where we've forty six teams in our own skill by section outside of our our academy stuff. So we've we've a, a massive kind of pool of potential players to pick from but we also need to make sure that we've we access what we can access and, and I don't think it's as lately driven in in Dublin as it is in outside of Dublin from the conversations I have with other academy managers it's it's very prominent that they're having constant issues and battles with access to players um, and they're trying to do it right in terms of how we operate and I think that's important that we do our business properly because we're probably on the pedestal to be to be beaten at the moment and we need to be very careful as league warning clubs and we are I think I think that's always the conversation and we're conscious um, but we, I think we we all need to get to a point where we work together because effectively the kids are the ones missing out and that's that's the reality um, and, and everything we do and Mike does more for the other clubs there around the country it's for the kids at the end of the day it's not about me or Mike or, or any four day managers or anything like that it's, we're, we're there to work for the kids at the end of the day you know so we need to make sure that we probably come together a little bit more and try and join things up whether it's I know Will has done a lot of work around the transfer windows and that's been tidied up a little bit more um, but we, we need to try and get our season aligned where we can just to make smooth of transitions from players as, as much as possible the gap years 15th to 17th um, the players are falling in between windows because of that and there's, there's a lot of different scenarios there that we're all, we all know and have been spoke about at length um, but we need to try if we can yeah, I, I, I think I definitely found that with anyone I've spoken to, managers or coaches, 
an academy um, heads, you know, that's um, Craig, that they, they were really, really out for the players. And that that is actually, it's not for financial game as much as they probably enjoy it. But the, there are a lot of pitfalls for the players. Like, so if the player is coming from a rural club, there's there might be an animosity towards the League of Ireland club. Then there's, a, there's a, obviously a discrepancy between the seasons. Then he might kind of fall between ages going forward, depending on what age he's, what age, month he's born. And then if he gets to a League of Ireland club, the gap to, we'll say, from 19s to sort of senior might be a bit too much as well. So there's an awful lot going on. No, it's the splits. And that's why it makes our job really difficult. So whether we play players down, whether we retain players, whether we release players, their general individual own development plans that we have at clubs for them. There's lots of factors that come into it, Johnny, in terms of like, is the boy right to commit at this time? Should we mm. take our time and bring him in now and, and leave him a little bit longer, maybe playing at a skillboy club? There's lots of factors that come into it because, again, the people that falls back on when it doesn't go right is the club. Mm. Effectively, we need to make sure that we kind of have brand reputation if we protect ourselves and do things properly. But if we do things properly, we'll have good brand reputation. But again, if we do things properly, it's it's doing right by the kid at the end of the day because they're the most important person. How are parents generally? Um, very good. I think we I think we need to, and I've, I've only said this to Will recently, I think we need to have a real good look at our parent education in the country around football and um, generally good though and um, but there's some new aspects coming into play in terms of like players playing down for example um, in this country which has been a huge positive in my opinion we didn't use it the very first year in the club we mm. didn't play any play down. We, we didn't have any late developers in the club this year we have a couple um, and we're trying to educate the parents on the benefits of that for the player the parents don't really buy into that or, or haven't fully bought into it yet and and again I, I think it's because we're in we're in its infancy and we, we don't know yet the benefits and we're giving the players time and trying to make sure that we have a clear pathway for them and helping them but um, parents are probably the biggest stakeholder Johnny that's the, the reality of it um, that we have to work with and we have to work closely with them you know yeah, I, I just one last question, and it's for both of you. So I'll ask you first, Craig. Were the government to um, invest in academies, for example, like if you if you look at Alex Murphy, Alex Murphy um, goes to Newcastle for a lot of money. That money filters back to Galway United, filters back to Carb Celtic, and kind of I guess emboldens clubs to bring up players in even even in rural Ireland to bring them to the next stage, and everyone benefits, including the player. But I, I, it does piss me off that like um, the government just kind of looks down on the lack of industry in terms of football but looks on other sports totally differently what can um, the government benefit what society benefit is there from potentially investing in, 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 in League of Ireland academies well, I think firstly the facilities bit is crucial which we know so every every club should have a, a state of the art or a, a general base that they can work from mm. because it, that can be linked back to community stuff and, and, and it can be used as a hub that everyone can, can work from I went to Peck Swallow four or five years ago maybe with a pro license group and us with the FEUI the the stadium is the hub of the city everything is, is out there the supermarket the hairdressers you name it and I think we need to get our academies a little bit closer to that I'm not saying they need to be commercialised but they need mm. to be where it's a place where everything is, is basically ran from and it's, and it's a hub almost and I think that would that will in, in essence support player development but also then the community aspect of the club which will grow we see at our club it creates bums on seats which generates revenue, which helps. And, um, so I, I think that's, for me, That's, it. that's that has to be the number one starting point that we, we put facilities in place and then ID people. So we need people to support the, the football development um, so they can out do other aspects, whether it's out doing community work, out supporting the club and, and other aspects. But um, I would say people and facilities are number one that, that they support, you know. Same roundabout question to you, Mike. Now, I think the government benefits, I think when 
the Irish football team and Irish football is doing well. There's a great boost to the Irish morale, the Irish field of well-being. So I think we've 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 seen that over the years that it it adds an awful lot to how society feels about itself in general in Ireland. And despite what people, football is probably the single most impact how the Irish soccer team does. And to, for the government to recognise that to do that is not going to be done like it was 20, 25 years ago by English clubs taking fifteen year olds over. So to get that back and to get some that sense of national well being back. We've got to do it differently. And to me, the only way is, is at national academies. You're listening out some things, John, you're right, where we have the gaps. But like I've come from the other side of the game, not National League. I mean, National League meant nothing to me up to a few years ago. Mm. But this academy system is the best thing that's happened to the development of young Irish footballers. It really has given them a chance to progress and close the gap of what's happened elsewhere in the world. So I think if we can deal with what you brought, some of the gaps at the 15, 16-year-olds, Lads being released because they're in a gap year, not having anything for the 18 to 21s to go. They only have an intermediate football centred around Dublin and Cork. There's a lot of gaps that needs to be filled in to get, as I said, the same model and, and, and a really good model across the whole country. I think the benefit then is that Irish people feel an awful lot better about themselves and that, that helps every aspect of life. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many things to fix um, but you both sort of laid out, lads. I'm just sort of thinking... Of, we we all want everything, right? Like we all want facilities, and we all want um, more staff, and we all want sort of um, we, we want to create like a, a sort of a sustainable future. But I'm guess like in the short term, like what's the one thing you would like to happen the most? You know, if if for some reason like we someone came tomorrow and said we have funding for something, like is it just more staff? Is it just the more? I know you have great facilities in Waterford. To be fair, Mike, I know you're connect, you're connected with the facility down there. Yeah. Um, so maybe you're not in that facility piece so maybe you're a little bit different but I don't know what would one extra full-time staff member even do for both of you you know or two extra full-time staff members you know these little things because I assume it's quite a time-consuming load that a lot of the academy heads are dealing with that you're dealing with everything you know you're not just dealing with sort of um, you know you're dealing with admin as much as you're dealing with sort of strategic thinking you know it's it's everything yeah, I, I think from my perspective, it's to get some full-time day resource to take advantage of when the kids aren't in school. And I think the second thing is is to have a 21s grade, is to give the kids who've, who we've we've gotten, they've committed to us from 13 years of age to 18, 19. Yeah. And then if we can't get them, stay, keep them long enough to give them a realistic chance of first-team football, then you'd have to question what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, similarly, like, you know, I don't know, you'd, 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 yeah, does it, everyone wants everything, but you would benefit from a lot of what we're talking about there. Yeah, definitely. Like, again, a, a couple. If I think on the playing side, we need staff. I think that's where we need we need the the big resources. From in my opinion, um, I'd gladly deal with all the madness and the the messiness and the admin and the stress if it meant that we had more contact for our players and it meant we could drive their development. Um, because. I think if if we can get to a point where where we have generally more contact on the pitch with them through whatever resources we find and how creative we are around that, I think that will that would certainly give me the the light at the end of the tunnel to say I'll still deal with all the the mad administration and the the, the stuff that we have to do to make sure that our players are developing them and we're giving them a real chance. And again, in turn, we're ideally we're trying to produce another Ever Fergus and another senior international player. So the more we can give them, the better. And I think that that's where it needs to be the focus. You know. What's the standard like, lads, finally? If a lot of people listen to this, don't go to underage games and I think they'd be pleasantly surprised. 
Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, uh, last week, our 19s played against Rotterdam in in uh, a league game in the Oscar Trainer up on the grass. Really nice environment. Um, two proper teams going after it. It wasn't a typical academy game, if you like. It was a proper game. It was uh, it was closer to a senior game, in my opinion. Two teams that were trying to outweigh each other and played different systems and styles and. And it was a proper, proper game. And that obviously changes as you get down the ages where it's, it looks different. And teams are trying to play in a certain way to develop the, the young boys and girls. And um, it's it's a nice product to watch, Johnny, I would say. I think it's good. I think everyone's trying everyone's trying to do the right thing in a good way. And we, we can still be better. There's still a lot of flaws in it. Don't get me wrong. There's still a lot we can do better from a coaching point of view. I think we can we can set teams up a little bit more different. But again, that comes back to more time with the players. That comes back to being more creative. I would say it's, I'd say it's good, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, I've made this point before. I think it's doing wonders for crowds as well. I think because you've just people involved and parents involved, and it's made a real football family. Very, very briefly, we're running out of time, lads. Um, give us a couple of names of players to uh, look out for that excite you. If you're going to name two or three, starting with you, Craig. Well, you've killed me there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have some unhappy players here. Let's say, um, are you hundreds? Yeah, we'll have four players go to the European Championships with Ireland uh, next week. So, uh, Joe Collins, Danny McGrath, Taylor Mooney and Nixon Okasun. So, um, in, in theory, they're probably four standout players at the club. There's many others, trust me, and I really mean that. I'm not being tongue-in-cheek on that. We do have we do have a lot of good players at the club at the moment. Um, but hopefully the, the four boys go and have a, a really good time in Hungary and, and do really, really well. Mike? Yeah, I suppose we have two going, Johnny and Jason Heaney and Romeo at the Chuka. I suppose we'd be honest, we normally in the past you celebrate having two. We'd probably be disappointed not having four in that squad given some of the levels of our lads. So I think one guy who's coming up is young guy's forward called Callum Costello, who's never featured towards any squad because of his size. He's second top scorer in the National League under 17 at the moment. I think he's going to be a real, real star. And you've got a number of others who I wouldn't like to extend further, but I, I think we've got a prop. Eight, nine, ten really good players coming from 15s up. I love, I love to hear that. And as ever, if you are a player listening in, a lot of players develop late and uh, a lot of it is down to attitude and working hard as well. And probably parents, actually, and good coaches like uh, the likes of Craig and Mike. Lads, thanks a million for coming on. Thanks, John. Thanks, Dad. Thank uh, you very much, lad. Best luck, to, best luck for the men of the season. Thanks a million, lads. Thanks to the lads. And um, it's funny... <laughs> all these young National League fans now Dan they come in and they see like it's normal that all these players are on the under 17 teams of the League of Ireland and they go to the Euros or whatever God when I was young this was just completely unheard of and thanks to the lads for coming on I, I, I find the academy stuff one of the most um, uplifting things really that's happened in, in League of Ireland football in recent times and um, best of luck to uh, all the academy uh, teams going forward Fixtures, Dan, I'm going to start with the first division because uh, you did last weekend coming up on Friday the 12th of May uh, Kerry still in uh, pursuit of that first win, but no easy task against Athlone. In Athlone, Bray Wanderers against Finn Harps, um, Galway United against Wexford, Waterford against Cove. Um, it's interesting, Shane Keegan has a young lad, Kervik, who's on loan from Waterford and came from the Waterford Academy and things, but can't actually play against his parent club. And it's funny, you can kind of get, um, I guess you can get some success if you move around clubs as well. Uh, Longford Town against Treaty. Dan, in the Premier Division, we do have um, a couple of games Monday as well. But before all of that, it's Bowes v Derry, uh, Pat Strada, uh, UCD, Shamrock Rovers, Dundalk, Cork City on Friday. Saturday night, Sligo Rovers welcome Shelburne to the showgrounds. 
And then it's only Derry City v Dundalk, which is kind of a battle for sort of third at the moment, and the minor matter of Shamrock Rovers v St. Pat's. On Monday, yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, why was the Galway crowd for the Warford game lower than the Cove one? Was there a big promotion for the Cove game or something? Yeah, I, I can only presume that there was because there were so many kids at the Cove game. The Cove game was a sellout. Um, and they must have made, that was a bank holiday weekend, wasn't it? So they must have made a particular effort with that. And because it was an outlier crowd, in fairness, and uh, it was smaller against water. It was a small bit disappointing. Not like going nice crowds yeah. are very good, but it was a small bit disappointing. Good, good water crowd as well at it. Did you see the ultras holding up the tunnel in Galway? Is it I that did. I did. Yeah. It, it is, it is, it is kind of sad, Dan, in this, in like, I remember when I was a kid and I remember at one point Don O'Riordan turning around to me in the middle of a game to get the crowd going. He was like, it's flat, Johnny, come on. And I was probably about 17 at the time, 16 maybe. And now I've gone from, that's just not me anymore. I'm probably sitting down now with the with the old lads. Yeah, but listen, the, the, kids, are, the kids are probably having a better time now than, than you did when you were 16, 17. You know, holding up traffic and, you know, recording each other. <laughs> you know, um, it's a different life, but um, that's all good. Listen, thanks to the lads as well for coming in to talk to us, or not coming in. We have to do this over Zoom this week just because I'm uh, under the weather. But um, I know it's maybe, uh, it's a sort of a, it's a, for some people it's a niche subject matter, but like this is actually like the future of the game in this country. And it's also more to the point, it's the basis for all the funding arguments. Like there's so much more we could be doing to create an industry here. and And also one that would, like benefit a lot of people to put a lot of time into it. Um, so there's an incentive to get it right and get the education element of it right because um, there's like a huge passion for football in this country, but there's so many flaws with like the, the system, the pathways. And even as you mentioned, you, you put a lot of kids through that system at the moment and they have nowhere to go at the end of it. And then um, there's so much to do to get right. But uh, I think there is a, a small number of people working full time on it who, who definitely deserve a little bit more support. So, uh, yeah, it's good to have some of the voices on. Last question: Does 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 Rovers Pats on a Monday night sell out? Um, good question. Uh, I would say probably not sell out. No, but it'll be close to it. Uh, you might have season ticket holders who don't show up because mm. it's Monday. That'd be the issue. Um, rather than they're not being demanded, it'll do well, but maybe not just full. But listen. I I, uh, I hope to be wrong. If Pats went on Friday, they'd have no issue with their allocation and all of that. Um, so I'd say it'd be close. But um, I think that there will be no shows on Monday who go on Friday, so that could just complicate things. Yeah, that brings us to a nice segue into tanking future ticketing. Uh, obviously, uh, having a great time with League of Ireland sales at the moment. They're one of our sponsors. Get along to the Eurovision special um, and have a Johnny Logan cocktail uh, in Rascals this weekend um, if you're so inclined. And obviously also thanks uh, to... Um, every time now I'm going to look at Stephen Bradley and the lads, I'm going to think of Decky because he's put the cover on them before. Is that fair enough, Dan? It is. Let's go. Thanks to Connor and Cuff. Thanks to you for listening.